Warning! This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions, and strong language. Welcome to Records and Bands. In a little while, we'll be heading back to the 90s because the famous school bus mixtape has been found. (laughs) <laughs> one that I talk about all the time. Um, when I say found, I think we've probably, rather than finding the physical tape, we've managed to recreate it. And joining me to talk all about it this week is my man with MTV, my musical big brother, and the person responsible for the mixtape that is responsible for my CD collection. Leon Bateman, how are you? I'm good, man. You? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm keeping on. It's been a tough couple of weeks with... So between us, over many, many messages, we've managed to recreate the famous school bus tape from what we think was 1994 that we would have just played the hell out of back and forth to school for months and months and months. And I don't know if this is the correct order. I think we've just come to this gone, well, that was probably on there. That was probably on there. But I just wanted to have a bit of a run through because there's some massive bands on here that i still listen to today and if i'm honest i think it's more representative of my record collection than it is of the record collection of the person who recorded the stuff off the telly (laughs) i think you're absolutely right that there's i i haven't got an album by and oh no tell a lie i've got the live i've got that album which was throwing copper so these songs would have all been mainly recorded off of Headbangers Ball? With the exception of, which was the one I was thinking, no, I definitely got this. Oh, um, Acid Rain by Silverchair. Mm-hmm. That was recorded off the of Bruce Dickinson Rock Show off Radio 2. Radio 1? Radio 2. Right. One Radio, or the other. Radio 1. Because mm. he took over yeah. from, what's the name, didn't he? Yeah, because I think if you recall on the actual recording of it, fades out and i remember bruce dickinson saying and this actually made it onto the tape never let it be said that the youngsters of today never do anything worthwhile that's right yeah wasn't there it must have been a bit later actually wasn't there a wasn't there a cover on one of the tapes because this isn't the only tape but this is the one that Mm. i remember this is what i've spoken about most Mm -hmm. wasn't there a cover of the immigrant song there was by Bruce Dickinson, yeah, that was yeah. in there. And wasn't there was on one of the it must have been the Bruce Dickinson Rock Show, and it, I don't think it was on this tape, but there was Big Jim Martin from Faith and Moore doing Navigator, which is a cover of the Pogue song. Uh right. I didn't notice Pogue. I didn't until I Googled it. Because oh. I, I was trying to find Navigator by Big Jim Martin, and the only one that came up was a Pogues Pogues one. So Yeah, that was definitely on the mixtape. Definitely, because that was on the Bruce Dickinson Rock Show. But, I mean, we didn't just have one mixtape. We had oh, multiples, yeah. This is the one that springs to mind. So should we just run through a, a few? Yep. Okay, so we've got Albatross by Corrosion of Conformity. And I didn't even remember that being on there, to be honest. Uh, it definitely was. Because I, I, I can still remember now thinking about how... Because they cut it short on the recording that I had, because it was obviously off the radio. Mm. But listening to this version, which is the album version... It's well extended, and the yeah. mashup at the end is incredible. Absolute jam fest. It's amazing. It's a brilliant song. Lovely, dirty, and the vocal on it is absolutely of its time. Bridging the gap between hard rock What's and What's his grunge. name? Pepper something, isn't it? 
Pepikinen, Pepik, I don't know. Our Rich really like Corrosion of Conformity for a while. Um, I never really got into them, so they're one of the bands that didn't come with me from this. And then this is quite interesting, considering how much you hated the Body Cane record. <laughs> that we've got Downset by Downset on there, and what a great tune that is. Can I be honest, though? Right? Okay. There's not, to my knowledge, one expletive on there. No. And the guitars are good. The vocals are good. It's got more uh, attack and, and and more polish, I would say, than Body Came. Oh, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. One of those bands I completely forgotten about as well. I actually saw them because they were at, I'm sure it was at Leeds. So I remember walking past and the drummer was doing a solo. And I just remember thinking to myself, bloody hell. He must be absolutely shattered by the end of a gig because he is so fast. But that song particularly isn't fast. But Do you reckon they were on that Vans Warped Tour tent or Concrete Jungle tent or whatever, you know, where we watched, where Rancid would have played and Snuff would have played? They were in a yellow tent. Yeah, probably. I remember yeah. it being yellow. Yeah, they're probably on that same lineup then. But yeah, dang, the great track, Down Set. And I think, as I say, done without as much um, controversy, but just really polished and a well-crafted song. Yeah, really good. I couldn't find the actual single version of the next one. Um, so I've, I've got a live version I've put on here. But do you, it was absolutely massive, wasn't it? This is Inside Huge. by Stiltskin. Wasn't it off a Levi's advert or something? Um, it was um, either Levi's or Diesel. I think it was Diesel. Right, okay. Diesel jeans. I think it was Diesel. But yeah, massive. And didn't the guy from Stiltskin, the singer, didn't he go on to play with Genesis for a while? Yes, that's right, he did. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. But that song was massive. And I think also the other massive song or the other massive single I remember from that year, which never would have made any of our takes, was it um, Informer by Snow? Informer. Yeah, Yeah, do you remember that? I don't know why, but whenever I hear Stiltskin, I always think of Informer by Snow as well. The trouble I have now is that every time I think of Stiltskin, I also think of um, Babylon Zoo. Spaceman. Wasn't that later, though? Wasn't that about 96, though? It was later, yeah. But I always relate that now to the same, because that was Diesel Jeans as well. And there's, I mean, there was an awful lot of crap around at that time. Wasn't there just? And I think that's why Siltskin was such a big, big thing, because everything else was Venga Boys and aqua and all that bollocks and then yeah, so we, yeah that was a little bit later as well so i think we would have had so when we get into this i think we had like the first incarnation of shaggy and aswad had a record out and yeah. even on the harder end of stuff you had like ugly kid joe oh yeah they, they weren't bad actually from that time i remember they did that cover of cats in the cradle they did yeah yeah which was pretty awful yeah like, I... what was their big one i hate everything about you yeah good vocal on that man good yeah. vocal one I, again, I didn't remember this being on it at all, and that was "Acid Rain" by Silverchair. Yeah, and I thought it, I thought it couldn't be. I thought you know, there's no way that like because I thought the album came out the year later, but it was actually on a pre-release EP for Tomorrow. Yeah, so so that was on an EP with Tomorrow, and then like nine months later, the album came out, or six months later, and the album came out. So yeah, I think the EP dropped, and that's when he appeared. They appeared on the they played on the Bruce Dickinson rock show that that song mm-hmm. and that's when he said you know this is a new song coming out and I think it's really got some chops and that's when I remember him saying never let it be said because they were only about 15 then when they released that album it's amazing I saw some people um talking about 
basically they get a lot of shit, don't they? Silver chair mm. for being like a Australian Nevada or whatever. And people, mm. you know, and there was a video going around on Instagram about them playing to this massive crowd the back of their second album at some festival somewhere someone's going oh yeah they just ripped everything off nirvana he just thinks he's kurt cobain doesn't he and i just wrote a little comment saying just remember that dude was 17 when he's doing this what were you doing at 17 other than chasing after girls that weren't interested in you my my takeaway from silver chair was I, i've not listened to any of their albums i listened to that song and i remember thinking to myself how can somebody who's 15 years old sound have a voice like that because his voice I thought was incredible at the time, but also, you know, it'd be a really well-crafted song, you know, really sort of like marketable, great sound, you know, of its time, fitted in perfectly. I always remember reading a review of this show in Metal Hammer, Kerrang, Raw, whatever it was, and instead of like focusing on music, they made a really big deal about how immature they were, Oh, see, because I've seen them a couple of times. I've seen them twice here and once in Australia. And, like, they're amazing. I mean, when I saw them in Australia, they were the biggest band in Australia. It was just off the mm. back of the, um, I can't remember the name of the album, but it had Anthem for the Year 2000, all of that. It was, like, their massive album, and it's real anthemic. What's the fucking album called? I'm going to look it up. But it had pyrotechnics. It was, like, yeah, something else. The proper show. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel that with Frog Stomp, it was like, we're going to make, like, like, the songwriting was definitely there, but maybe the musical talent wasn't. And as they progressed, they got better at the music to get to be able to get those songs out. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. People like Silverchair, who were just sort of starting off, had skills and stuff to get going. And then they just, you know, the more you play, the more you develop, the, the better you get. And, you know, then you start creating a completely different sound and feel and ability and quality so you know bands like that only grow i think there's that that run of the first three albums so frog stomp freak show and neon ballroom which is the one i was searching for mm-hmm. i think there's in that whole sort if you call it the second wave of grunge if you like so from about 94 95 through to about 98 when the new metal stuff took over, it stands up against any run of three albums from any of those bands around those times. Mm. It, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't stand up next to like, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, all that, that first wave, if you like. But the stuff that came after stands up against Stone Temple Pilots, it stands up against Bush. And, and they were massive bands. And yeah, Silverchair don't get the credit they, they deserve. As I say, I remember reading the review in Raw or whatever, and they did focus on the fact they were, uh, were immature. But actually, the, the main focus, and it was the headline of the piece, was um, a silverchair guitarist intimidated by female onstage dancer. They had photographs of the scene, and they wrote up the gig, and the main focus was the fact that this considerably older dancer was partially clad, gyrating very closely to who at the time would have been a 15-year-old boy. Mm. And you sit there thinking, okay, well, you show me what 15-year-old boy wouldn't be slightly uncomfortable. You just get erections sat on the school bus, mate. So <laughs> that was you always get one when you don't want one. <laughs> well, I, I put it down being sat next to you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, 
Right, anyway. <laughs> speaking of which, come out and play. Keep them separated from the album Smash by Offspring. Oh, what just, a tune. Just a classic. I remember watching the video on um, Ed Banger's Ball and just thinking, oh, this is amazing. It was along the same sort of lines as oh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. It had that old kind of like shot in a dodgy light and, you know, mm. half faces in the camera shots. And yeah, I, I just remember thinking it was a really classy piece of music. Every know. time every time I hear the song, I think of us sat on the school bus. Just You know, that there's a bit between... Um... Yarpole and Thurston. And, uh, There's a bit mm-hmm. of a, yeah, hedges on both sides. I just remember going along there listening to, listening to that track. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how it takes you back to specific places like that. But the, the next couple will come on to, so Mother by Danzig, which is the only Danzig song I know outside of his work with the Misfits. I, I can remember walking at the bar gates listening to that. So that, that, that for me, Mother was the first time that I realised that I could sing with gravel. Right, okay. <laughs> so I remember singing it in the bedroom and thinking, how does he do that? And then was trying to kind of push into that gravelly part of my voice. And then, yeah, just managed to kind of produce something that sounded very similar and thought, well, I could probably sing a bit of gravelly if I wanted. I will say, with his vocal on, on that, he does start at about a nine and very quickly <laughs> gets up to an 11 or a 12, doesn't he? <laughs> It's great. Um, Full on from, yeah, from like halfway through the first verse says you're not bringing him back. Like, I mean, he's not going to get an Ivan Novello for the writing on it, but as a song, it's fucking yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a classic. And then we go well yeah. back and um, we hit Iron <laughs> Man, Black Sabbath. I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of Black Sabbath, I've got to be honest, but um, you can't knock the track. It's got everything. It's It's kind of... It's got five movements, so you could, if you wanted to, lock it into a bit of prog. Not a fan of Oz's voice on it. Not a particular fan of some of the lyrics, but I think just the way the guitars work and the bass rumbles along in the background, it's, yeah. Cemetery Gates, Pantera. What a tune. What a tune. It starts off as one thing, and you think, oh, yeah, this is really cool, and then it just goes to... Is that Phil Anselmo doing the vocals on that? All of it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Shit, the bed. Yeah. He's brilliant. Well, he's a bit problematic nowadays, but yeah, no, what a vocal like. And and but, like, uh, the guitar works on There's some pinched harmonics in it. Uh, oh, it's just like... Oh. Some? Well, yeah, some it, I, it's absolutely dripping, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just like uh, Dimebag at his best. Like, it's... Listening back to it and only ever having like the... Um, really dodgily mono recorded through the set of a through a set of headphones pressed against the uh, speaker it, listening to it back and thinking this sounds so much better than i remember it and i remember it being fucking amazing then so this just listening to it now and thinking those pinched on like do 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 oh just astonishing uh, incredible yeah so this little run of iron man cemetery gates and then this next one, Rusty Cage. Those three were definitely in that order on the tape. And yeah. I can remember listening to it. You know, um, basically from Lucton down to Mortimer's Cross and then up along it, going towards Wigmore. I, that's the remember, I remember listening to them. Rusty Cage is just, it's just epic. And when Cornell's vocals come in, there's it's just like, what the fuck is that? I hadn't heard, like, for all the stuff we listened to before, 
never heard a voice like that before then all of my music came through you at that point and i'd obviously heard nirvana and heard pearl jam i was, I was this when i was i was into pearl jam around the edges of everything and then when i heard cornell on that i was just like fuck like i like as much as we've heard bruce dickinson hitting notes like cornell's just something different on that it's a different gear entirely and there's yeah it's effortless it's absolutely effortless yeah and i think if you look at his vocal on Rusty Cage. Prior to that, obviously, uh, Soundgarden had been obeyed. But you listen to Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Maiden, and Bruce's vocals are absolutely pitch perfect, mm. clean. There's no gravel as such. It's really, it, it's a vocal masterclass, pièce de résistance for, for Bruce Dickinson. Rusty Cage appears, um, probably. Before 94. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's 91, Bad Motorfinger comes out. Which works out because in 1992, Iron Maiden released No Prayer for the Dying, mm. and Bruce's vocals are all raspy, all gravelly, you know, spitting venom. And you think, ah, Bruce is listening to other people here, and he's trying to imitate other vocalists. Because once that stopped, as soon as that album dropped, which is my most loathed Maiden album they then went back to do Fear of the Dark and Bruce's vocals were back to being clean and crisp because people didn't want to listen to Bruce Dickinson doing a really dodgy version of Chris Cornell so and that was my opinion of it anyway but yeah um, I didn't really follow Soundgarden much uh, after that this is probably the fork in the road if you like this is where I where I just sort of grabbed it and went with it and if it was from Seattle I was going to listen to it because if it's if it's even a chance of sounding like that, and like oh, obviously on Bad Motorfinger you've got it might be the best Soundgarden album, but you've got uh, Outshine, Jesus Christ posed, Saves and Bulldozers, Searching My Good Eyes Closed, like five or six really really strong tunes, and then they follow that up with Super Unknown, you know, which on on this one on this version we've got. Uh, Black Hole Sun, so which I think was the lead single, which is probably why it was on there a bit earlier. But um, I also think Super Unknown was released around March time anyway, so that would tie mm. up nicely for this. And I remember mostly seeing the video for Black Hole Sun at your place. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, yeah. With the um... It was like the morphing CGI stuff is really weird. Um, and again, I, I, I do think that like Black Hole Sun is the most well-known Soundgarden song, but it's nowhere near their best. No, no. And in fact, it's that whole, I've heard it so many times, I sort of can't listen to it anymore. I'd rather listen to Rusty Cage. Um, there's stuff on Super Unknown, which is similar but better. I, I, I prefer to listen to The Day I Try to Live every time. That's amazing. Mm. Do you know that album? I don't, but... I um... think you might like it, actually, because you like if you like his vocal... Then like the bass, the bass is really good on it. The drums mm. just batter you like it's. And there's some mellow stuff on there as well. I think when you get to the next album down on the upside, I think it might get a little bit weird for you. Hmm. Um, it's again, it's another band because I was very metal to quote a Edmondson. I kind of, uh, as you say, it was a fork in the road. It was like. I kind of like it, but there's still a lot more 
of this genre that I like yeah. that I haven't explored enough of yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here. Um, so you know, um, as so, I say, so Bad Motor Finger would probably be the heavier of the two. Great, that's where we go then. And then um, Super Unknown, I think, is a masterpiece. It, it, I think it's just got everything. So did quickly skip over there. Um, Doll Parts by Hull and Courtney Love. That was the first time I heard a female vocalist and I thought, holy shit, she rocks like everyone else do. Mm, yeah, Doll like, Bandit. Proper... Hull are amazing. Like, I think they're really good. And I think I've said to Sam a few times, I think she gets a lot of shit that mm. is undeserved. I think she's an amazing vocalist. I think she's an amazing performer. I think she's an amazing songwriter as well, despite the rumours that Kurt Cobain wrote half of this album. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't know that. There's, yeah. there's lots of rumours. Um, and then, obviously, she worked with Billy Corgan on the next album, I think. So. Oh, okay. Again, it's um, it was a divergence for me. Mm. It was it was a good song, but I never followed it. You did say you had this Throne Copper album by Live, Live yeah. and Crashes. That's, yeah. That was a big single off of that, wasn't there? But there were some better songs on the album. Yeah. Um, I Alone Love You. That's I Alone right. Love yeah, You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant song. Um, to be fair, a brilliant album. Lots going on, really atmospheric, lots of ups and downs and peaks and troughs and speed changes and stuff. Really, really good. And actually, off the back of the album, it produced what um, I actually personally, and a lot of people agree, is the seminal MTV Unplugged performance. All right, okay. I'll have to look it out. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, whether it was like the first one or not, I don't know. But I've seen them doing lightning crashes live on MTV, uh, unplugged, and it's phenomenal. Right. Absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, I would say it's probably better than the Nirvana one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The best, like for me, the best one is probably the Alice in Chains one. Oh, okay. The Alice in Chains one is something else because like they basically had to break name Staley at rehab or he's, he hadn't been long out of rehab and it's like the first gig they played in three years or something oh wow and like and you can see he's really struggling and his is um don't take his sunglasses off the whole show and oh, right. jerry cantrell is singing more than he usually does but there's just something hauntingly mm. beautiful about the whole performance it's amazing Again, though, isn't it? It's that whole, it could fall apart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find the um, audio for it on for Music, Alice okay, in Chains Unplugged. But yeah, yeah, it, like watching it is just, it's just fantastic. Like, so, mm. And it, funnily enough, it was just when Metallica did their Load album. Oh, uh, right. But James Hetfield cut his hair. Yeah. And apparently Metallica were in, were in the audience. So Mike Inez, who was playing the bass at the time, wrote on his acoustic bass, real friends don't let real friends get shit haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna move we're gonna move away briefly then from the, the grunge and we're gonna get into a bit of British stuff, a couple of tracks from the of British stuff. We've got Caffeine Bomb from the Wild Hearts and Pretend Best Friend from Terrorvision. Nothing if high not high energy. I remember sitting and listening to Caffeine Bomb. Pretty certain I heard it on a front of the magazine CD thing. And I played it and I actually managed to write down all the lyrics through and promptly attempted to sing it beginning to end. <laughs> I, mean, I'd asked, I'd had an asthma attack halfway through, probably. Indeed. It is proper fast. And, uh, you know, it was at the time like nothing else. No, you I... know. On the market 
Yeah, it I was... completely agree with you. Like, and and yet really, really catchy, but it fucking kicked your ass. Like, yeah, what I thought was really good, and I just, it, it's one of those childish things, was uh, trying to figure out how many times he was calf, 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 caffeine bomb because yeah. he doesn't do it the same amount of times every no, time. No, no, it's oh, I got it wrong. <laughs> it was almost like a game. Pretend best friend was another proper. There's not many other songs that. What else sounds like television, other than television? There's not much. It's, it's a brilliant track, and it's one of my favourites. And yeah, I think yeah, from here, I, I had a bit of a run where Television were probably my favourite band for three years after this, and another band I've seen loads. Yeah, that, that song's really special in my mind because it's got that really loungy bit in the middle of it and I thought yes. really that oozed call that did you call yourself a friend and yes. they've got that kind of compressed crunch on yeah. the vocal I thought it was just brilliant thought it was really but really cool even even though it's quite a quick song the riff and the drums just give it that bit of a swing all the way through it's, yeah, it's, the... it's, it's, rock, it's rock music that you can dance to like properly dance to it yeah, absolutely. And I think the bass line's really cool in it as well, because it's kind of, it's almost like, well, I'm trying to think of what the song is now. It's dum 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 It's kind of got that... Grain chill? No, it's <laughs> grain chill. But actually, it's just kind of got that kind of bouncy swagger to it. Dum, 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 dum. I just thought, yeah, it's really, it, it's just got a lot of attitude. And I think that's really cool. You shaded at me next because we di- I didn't put it on here. It definitely and it, it was. was. Yeah, it definitely was. And it was just an omission on my part. So I'll let you introduce it. It's Super Scooper and the Mighty Scoop by the band Caius, featuring a very young Josh Holm on lead guitar and rhythm guitar. Was he, was he guitar playing then? Was he? Mm, I, yeah. Why did I think he was playing bass? No, he was guitar. He was, yeah. yeah I've, I've looked back to see if I could find the actual video that I recorded this from because the audio you've got on the playlist is studio, but yeah. I recorded it off a festival. Monsters of Rock or something? Yeah, something like that. But I've had a look and they didn't play Monsters of Rock. Right, so it could have been Pink Pop or something like that over in Europe. Yeah, I think it was a European festival, yeah. The live version is great because it starts off with the bit at the beginning, which is the really sort of attacking vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the bass drops. It goes, boom, 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 And on the recording, the sound guy, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that sound hut because he must have just gone, oh, fuck me, that's really yeah. late. I yeah, 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 this yeah. <laughs> They just went, bang. From what I know of Caius is that they used to go out into the desert and play these shows for the, or play for their mates and stuff. Oh, right. And so so they'll set up generators and have their amps. And, the, and so they'll be playing and they'll be trying to play like ACDC riffs, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And it would go out across the desert and then hit the mountains, like, you know, 6, mm. 8, 12, 13, however many miles away these mountains were, and then banks back. So like five seconds later or or four seconds later, they're getting the echo of what they've just played back at them. Yeah. So they're trying to play fast, but because this is all coming back to them, bouncing off the mountains, it's not, they, they can't hear what they're playing because it's all getting muddled. Uh, okay. So they, so they basically took ACDC style fast riffing and slowed it right down to get this sort of sludgy stoner style. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So they get hit so because they, they would like their practice space was out in the desert. Like, Mm, that's interesting. There was a 
TV series or a documentary series with Dave Grohl where he's going around all these different studios and stuff. And I think I think they were talking to him then. So they did one up, one up in Seattle and then one one in Washington and then one in Palm Springs with Rick Rubin's studios in Palm Springs, I think. And then they spoke to Matey Boy about playing in the desert and that. So, uh, And then we've got one of my favourites, Spin the Black Circle by Pearl Jam, which is two minutes, 40-odd seconds of just... Yeah, amazing. It is. You're right. It's a it's a punk track. Like, yeah, it's as, it's as punk as they get. It's well, you don't get much more punk than singing about heroin, taking heroin. To be fair, to so I, I no, I I see it as um, it, it's a homage to vinyl. <laughs> no, seriously. I see it as nothing short of um, he's got the needle. It touched the flame. Load me down. I see that needle, I see my hand, drop, drop, dropping it down oh so carefully. Now here yeah. it goes, above the flame. Yeah, but yeah, it could be either way. I don't think it's her. I'll <laughs> tell you why. It's because they, when um, I've got a bootleg from about 2013, they play a song called Let the Records Play, and they dedicate it to this um, record shop that's closed down. Right. And then, they, then he says something along the lines of, that was a song about vinyl records. Here's another song about vinyl records. Right, but yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it could be, but it's it's very Fugazi, isn't it? There is a part where he's talking about um his sleeve and everything else. I don't forget the lyric is now, but it's something about um a wrap on his sleeve or something, and release the sleeve and let it go or something, and it's records are in sleeves. And another double double meaning, yeah. I suppose you could take it either way. And Hang on. again, again, it's like um, you with your it's noisy up there. You see it as a suicide song and I see it as someone getting away from the noise of, of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's two different. It's not wrong. It's art, mate. Isn't oh, it? absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Totally open to interpretation. I'm just Googling. What is it? Um, Spin the Black Circle meaning. There we go. The song has two meanings. This is from PearlJamFandom.com. The song has. Two meanings: the obvious one, vinyl records, and the not so obvious one, drug addiction. There you go. But I would say because I, I don't think I know. I know heroin was fucking everywhere mm. at the time, but I don't think any of the band in Pearl Jam dabbled. Although obviously Andrew Wood, who was in Mother Love Bone, which was a band before Pearl Jam, he obviously died of a heroin overdose. So mm. you're not wrong. You, you know. No, no, no. I, I always thought that I made them clean until I've read a few things recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I say recently, last 10 years, and thought, oh, actually, they were pretty prolific. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was Coke for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Cokeheads, back to the Wild Hearts, <laughs> Sucker Punch. <laughs> yeah. Which is in the same vein as Caffeine Bomb, isn't it? My favourite bit of the whole song is, you sucker, you sucker, you fucker. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's almost a love song by Wild Heart standards as yeah, well. It's isn't great. It? Yeah. Do you remember the video for Sick of It All Step Down when they were doing do. all the different mosh dances? I do. Filmed in black and white as well. The camera slowly walks down into this uh, basement venue and uh, they're there playing. And it's again sort of edgy shots, half faces, you know, shooting up from the floor up to the band, playing the guitar from below type thing and uh yeah and and then in another room they're just getting all these rivet heads just to kind of do all these different mm. dance moves it's brilliant so when sick of it all with like the or oh, uh, like this i'm pretty sure they're new york they're sitting the east coast 
hardcore band. Yeah. And I saw him at Reading and it, it was absolutely tits. It was <laughs> carnage, mate. That was, I think it was 99 I saw him at Reading. It might have been 98, could, but and whichever year it was, it was amazing. It's one of the best gigs I've ever seen. And then Brilliant. when I when I was away in Australia, our Rich went up to see him up here, JB's in Dudley. And he said he was, yeah, it, it was something else. Like, yeah, and again, that that song just captured a a thought at the time. You know, it just came on. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Again, they're not going to win an Ivan Novello for it, but they're, I think Sick of It All are a really influential band, and like certainly out coming out of that scene, like one of their roadies. Um, they basically their, their roadies formed a little band, and they used to let them if. if like if there was time that that the roadies open for them amazing so it'd be like there might be a support band but if everything was set up and there's there's a few people in the crowd and the way you go i think one of them was um toby morse who is in h2o who were like a proper straight proper straight edge hardcore band oh okay yeah so they're really good and obviously sick of all are really good as well that's two this one this one is a epic one by Metallica. I still remember the video taken from an old movie, guy in a bed, unable to move. Am I thinking of the right song here? Yeah, I am, yeah. yeah taking yeah, his yeah, life. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. It really sort of touched the chord that this guy uh, who fought for his country had uh, got brain damage, but was still absolutely 100% switched on inside what is an empty shell. Mm. Um, and because of the war, he's they think he's dead. And um, it, it's a really haunting track. And What's really poignant listening to it back is how thin the sound is because the bass notoriously has been pulled right out of this entire record. But you can't hear an inch of bass in this at all, which makes the guitar parts sound even more haunting and visceral. Yeah, don't I'm not a massive Metallica fan. Was the Black Album the next I album? I think so because wasn't. When you think of how big, yeah, this is justice yeah. for all this. Wasn't um, Ride the Lightning? Yeah, I think it was. I I'm not a Metallica fan either. Master, I think it was Master of Puppets, Justice for All Black. But I could, I, I don't yeah. know, I probably got them wrong. Around. I think Hetfield's voice on that is absolutely amazing. Absolutely, I agree. And it's before he gets into this, what I call the uh, Hetfield style of singing. At the end of it, you put yeah on the end of everything, so... And tonight, and nothing else matters every time. And then we we basically what was probably for us being on the edge of as far from the mainstream as you can get when you're 14 and living in rural Herefordshire. Probably the biggest song of the year for us, I would say, would have been "Self Esteem" by The Offspring. Absolutely, it just that was like the anthem for for that year, and. I think Smash is still the biggest selling independently released album in the world really? ever. I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised because right from the minute it opens to the minute it finishes, it's not a bad song on it. Yeah, so it was released on Epitaph, which is Brett Gurewitz from Bad Religion. Uh, it's his. Okay. And basically it paid for, because it just went mental and then they signed to the big leagues. But basically it, it, it paid for epitaph to have a swing at all these other bands mm. that are coming through it paid for paid for them to give uh tim armstrong a, a side table of his own 
in Hellcat, you know, so then you get stuff like the distillers and stuff like that later on. You know, it's it's really important record, not just for like the music, but like even in terms of just financially, the sales of this record financially empowered so many other mm. bands coming out of that. Yeah. And, it's unbelievable. And there were so many, weren't there? Just kind of appeared, did like an album and then disappeared, released maybe one mm-hmm. or two really catchy tracks and then disappeared off face of the earth. Uh, the thing is, though, I think what, what, what happens is you have these bands come through. So like, for me, The Offspring did that. So you had Smash, which was massive, and then Ixnay on the Ombre comes out nearly two and a mm-hmm. half years later, maybe three years later, and then they're into Pretty Fly for a White Guy. And then, like, so to me, there's one, for me, there's one really, really outstanding mm. Offspring album, and the rest of it you can keep. So you could almost put them in the same yeah, yeah. bracket. I agree. Obviously, No Effects with Punk and Drubbly mm-hmm. is their big record that, you know, did get into the mainstream a little bit. But then there's a body of work which spans 35 years. Same with Bad Religion. Like Bad Religion had been releasing records for 10 years before St. Stranger Than Fiction came out. And it was it was Smash and Dookie which carried Bad Religion almost to the mainstream for a bit. And then the wave receded and they carried on making Do records. Do you think, and this could be a controversial, do you think that Stranger Than Fiction has aged as well as Smash? I listen to it more now than I do Smash. Honest? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really good. Oh, that's interesting. Because I would say I'd probably, having loved Stranger Than Fiction in the past, mm. I would probably be more likely to put Smash on probably tomorrow and have a listen to the whole album again at work than I would Stranger yeah. Than Fiction. Right. Okay. And I've probably listened to them both in equal measure at the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I See, I find it really weird that you gave me Bad Religion, but you turned me on. That is really weird. You get you turned me on to bad religion. Like, I don't get that. Like 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 from where where you are mm. now, like or where we are now, should I say? You know, with our, you know, if, if you were to look at the stuff we bring to this, you would say that I'm I'm the one that brings the punk. But I got smashed for a year. I got mm. bad religion for a year. I got Green Day for a year. I got rancid for a mm. year. That's interesting. And I think Stranger Than Fiction was another. Headbangers Ball or, um, you know, Rock Show song. I remember thinking, oh, this is really catchy. And again, recorded it to another mixtape somewhere. There's some really good tracks on that album, though, on Stranger Than Fiction, Mm. isn't there? There's Incomplete, it's the first track. Infected is on there. Television with Tim Armstrong on the vocal as well. Television, 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 television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to listen to that tomorrow because I haven't listened to that for ages. I think the, I think you had a version on cassette mm-hmm. and then there was a ver- the CD version came, with, it had two extra songs. It had Markovian Process and News from the Front were tagged onto oh, the okay. end on the CD. Whereas I think on the cassette version you had, it finished with um, 21st Century Digital Boy. It did, yeah. Which is a brilliant, brilliant song yeah. as well. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely listen to that tomorrow along with Smash. Brilliant. Right, so that was the 1994 School Bus Tapes. Hey, 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 hey. 